My, my, good morning, folks. <laughs> Welcome to Catalyst. Uh, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here. And uh, I wanted to begin this morning by talking about the Christmas Carol, which, as we were discussing in the pre show, is probably, it's probably the most adapted Christmas story uh, that we have. It's, it's from the 1800s, it was written by a guy named Charles Dickens. And uh, you probably know the plot, even if, like me, you've never actually read the book. Uh, it, it opens on a man named Ebenezer Scrooge, who we find out is not a very nice person. It is Christmas Eve, and he's making his employee, Bob Cratchit, work late. Uh, he is very rude to his estranged nephew, who tries to invite him over to spend Christmas with him. He doesn't want any part of it. And uh, he sort of laughs in the face of some uh, people who are going around collecting money for charity. Just by, by the time we get to the opening of the story, we can tell that Scrooge is not a nice guy. And uh, that night, Christmas night, he is visited by three ghosts, three spirits. Uh, the ghost of Christmas past, which takes him back to his childhood and kind of shows him the man that he used to be. The ghost of Christmas present, which takes him around and lets him see what his nephew's up to and uh, what Bob Cratchit's home life is like, including his uh, youngest child who's disabled, right? Poor tiny Tim. Uh, and then the last ghost is the scary one, the ghost of Christmas future, who shows uh, Ebenezer what awaits him if he does not change his ways, which, was, which is a lonely, unmourned grave and a fiery uh, judgment. And so Scrooge awakens a changed man, and he runs around, you know, he, he gives a huge donation to charity, he spends Christmas Day with his nephew, but not before taking a Christmas goose over to Bob Cratchit's house, offering a huge raise and uh, declaring Merry Christmas to all, right? Um, he's changed. And we, I mean, we love this story, right? We love the transition of Scrooge from a man who says, bah humbug, to everyone who wishes a Merry Christmas, to then someone who seems genuinely to be transformed. And I think that's why, even though A Christmas Carol is one of those Christmas stories that talks about Christmas without ever really talking about Jesus explicitly. It's one of those that really resonates because we sense that there's something at the core of this story that really does get at what we love about the Christmas season. So I want to explore that today because I, I want to suggest that the thing that's at the heart of the Christmas story, the thing that we actually enjoy so much, is uh, the possibility of change. Uh, we love seeing Scrooge transformed from someone who is bitter and selfish and cruel into someone who is kind and generous and open-hearted, uh, someone who can genuinely see the people around him and see how they're suffering and see how he, as a person of means, might be able to help alleviate that suffering and spread cheer. Uh, we love the idea that change is a part of the, of, of the story of Christmas. Even Elf, right? Even an Elf, Buddy's dad has that same kind of change. I think that's part of why we love Elf so much, right? Because it's the story of a person who is a Scrooge, which again, right, like Scrooge was not an, a word in the English language until a Christmas carol. Like when your story invents English words, it's pretty good, right? <laughs> and so the fact that we can, if I, say, if I say that person's a total Scrooge, you know exactly what I mean, Right? A bah humbug, a Scrooge, a selfish, miserly kind of a person. So uh, today we're going to talk about how change 
is an essential ingredient in the Christmas story. And I'm going to suggest that it's possible that even we might need to experience some changes uh, during this Christmas season. So we're going to begin together by singing and by celebrating the God who invites us to be known and to be transformed and to be always moving away from selfishness and inwardness uh, towards that generosity and openness that we find in the person and work of God. So would you stand with me as we begin singing this morning? I'm going to hand it over to Nathan and Guhe. We are in the season of Advent, which uh, again, strangely, is how the church, it's when the church year begins. So I The church year is sort of like a fiscal year, right? It doesn't correspond to the January to December calendar year. So we begin the church year in Advent, which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And Advent is a season that we specifically set aside to prepare for the return of Jesus, what we call the second coming here in the church. So I think it's a little countercultural and counterintuitive to begin by waiting, Right? Because then think about what we do for New Year's. I know, I know we got to get through Christmas first, right? But then we get to New Year's right away, and our New Year's resolutions are all about go, go, do, 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 you know, all of that. But in the church, we say, okay, it's time to get started. Let's wait. Let's prepare. Right? The church, the church season of Advent is one where we begin by saying, we are not the ones who are running this story, we are not in control of what's happening. We are simply responding to what God is doing in the world. And so we begin by waiting, by looking, by preparing, and asking, what is God up to, and how do we respond to that? So this year, our Advent series is called, I'll Be Home for Christmas, obviously taking a cue from the old Christmas song, right? But we're asking, what does the world look like when God returns, right? When God returns to reclaim the world, uh, What does that look like? And then what does that mean for us as we prepare for that? So we began last week with kind of that big picture affirmation that the world belongs to God and that God has not and will not abandon the world. That God has big plans for the world that include us and a restored and renewed creation that's free of injustice and evil and oppression. This week, then, we're going to look at how we respond to that good news. And we're going to begin by looking, I think very appropriately, within ourselves, we're going to begin by looking at how we respond and make sure that we personally and as, as a people of God are ready for what God is up to. So to do that, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 3 with us uh, or click over there if you're on a digital device. If you grab one of the free Bibles out of the back, that's on page 578. And you can obviously keep that Bible. But as you're turning there, we're meeting today a man named John the Baptizer. Uh, he was Jesus' cousin. And he is the guy who uh, was in charge of preparing the people of God for the arrival of God's Messiah, God's chosen person. And uh, to put it kindly, John was a weird guy, okay? He was pretty abrasive. He doesn't seem like he would have been a particularly great guy to invite to a dinner party, right? Uh, And he wore uh, camel skin, and he lived in the desert, and he ate locusts and, like, you know, bugs and honey, uh, and so that all very much was on purpose. And I'm telling you, when I, uh, when I was getting ready for the sermon, I was, I was studying Matthew 3 and what John was saying, uh, I couldn't get away from the idea of a Christmas carol, which is, you know, that's why we started by talking about that, that story. Because what we see in Matthew 3 is John functioning as sort of all three of the ghosts, right? John, John, in a very intentional and clear way, represented to God's people their past, 
okay? And, and in a way that was, we'll talk about here in a second, but in a way that was very uh, clear to them and really pointed, okay? John also, of course, had a strong message about their present reality and what God was calling them to do in the present moment. And then God, uh, John also ended with a stark warning about what lay in their future if they did not change, Okay, so, so uh, instead of the three ghosts of Christmas, we're going to call John the three ghosts of Advent, right? Advent past, Advent present, and Advent future. I want to just look at all three of those, how John, how John embodies all three of those moments for God's people, and then ask how we find ourselves hearing that same story, okay? So to begin, John appears to God's people as an avatar of their past. Uh, he very intentionally dresses and uh, lives in a manner that's consistent with the prophet Elijah, who is one of Israel's most famous prophets. Uh, He too lived in the desert. Uh, Elijah lived in the desert because he was uh, sort of public enemy number one during the rule of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Uh, They were famously idolatrous. Uh, Jezebel was not from Israel, and so she brought her own people's gods with her when she married King Ahab. And he, rather than saying, well, you know, in Israel, we only worship one God. That's like one of the big 10 commandments, you know. He just said, sure, honey, whatever you want, bring them all in. That's great, you know. And so under Ahab's rule, uh, the nation of Israel was steeped in idolatry, and the people were not faithful to God. They worshiped all kinds of other gods. And Elijah was the prophet who was calling them to repent. And because he reserved his harshest critiques for the king and queen, he had to basically live on the run. So he lived in the desert. He ate only what he could find, which was bugs and wild honey. Uh, He wore kind of what he could scavenge and make, which is the camel hair stuff. Now, John didn't have to do any of that, but he did it anyway, and he did it on purpose, right? It would be like today if you saw a news story about someone in Washington, D.C. who showed up at the banks of the Potomac carrying an axe and dressed like uh, uh, colonial times, right? You'd be like, oh, he wants us to think he's George Washington, right? Like, it's not subtle. Well, the same thing. When John appeared the way he did, people were like, oh, yeah, okay, it's Elijah. Ha ha, we get it, right? It called to mind Elijah's critique of the people's idolatry and his desire for them to return to God, okay? Just by looking at John, that's what they saw before he ever even spoke a word, right? He represented to them their long history as God's people, God's covenant faithfulness to them and how how they continually uh, rejected that, okay? So with that in mind, try to hold that in mind, I want to read to you uh, what Matthew says John did and said when he showed up on the scene. So beginning to verse 1 of uh, Matthew chapter 3, Matthew tells us, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. John's clothing was woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. 
So here we have John appears at the edge of the river and people come from all over. I, don't, I know it's hard for us to imagine this, but if you can imagine that people in John's day were like really fed up with their political system and all the leaders that they had and they just wished that someone would kind of get them back to the good old days when things seemed to be easier and people were more faithful. Right? I know, I know we, it's hard to wrap your brain around that, but if you can, you can understand maybe why a lot of people went out to see John. They were excited by his message by the possibility that someone was calling them back to faithfulness to God, to that, you know, good old time religion. He was, he was an avatar of their past, right? But he also functioned with a present message. He wasn't just um, cosplaying or doing like reenactments, right? He had a very specific message for the here and now. This is the way he functioned sort of as the the ghost of Advent present. Here's what he said, remember in Matthew, in in verse 2. He said, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. For John, what God was doing in the world, this new thing that Jesus was going to be bringing about when he began his ministry, was right here. It was very, very, very close And so John told the people, hey, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn around, to change your ways, to go back to God. And again, we know that this makes sense, right? Because uh, if you have guests coming over, you don't wait until they're there and then like serve them tea and then go clean your house, right? While they're waiting at the table. You guys just wait here. We're going to go freshen a few things up, right? No, you do that before they come over. You prepare, you get things in order, you get things ready, before your guests arrive. So in a similar way, right, John is saying, look, uh, God's promised Messiah is almost here. This new thing that God is up to is just over the horizon, and so now is the time to prepare for that. Now is the time to get ready. Now is the time to change, which is what repent actually means, right? It just means to change. So I want to hold on to those ideas because this really is the Advent message, right? Jesus is almost here. The time has almost come. And so now is the time for us to change. Now is the time for us to examine our own spirits and to examine our own people and examine our own families and our own household. And it's time to ask, what are the things that are aligned with God's way? What are the things that need to change? How is God's invitation to us about to come. And so I want to invite uh, Nathan and Guhe back up. I want to invite us back into worship, but I want us just to respond to this idea that God is coming, right? That God is nearly among us and that now is our time to change. So would you stand with me as we return to worship? Y'all can have a seat again. Uh, So again, John shows up as the, the ghost of Israel's past. By, by dressing and appearing as the prophet Elijah. He shows up as the ghost of their present by calling them to repent. And then, of course, he has to appear as the ghost of their future. And just like in A Christmas Carol, I warn you, this one's a little bit more of the scary one, right? Um, so this is what he says. We're going to uh, continue on in verse 7 and following. So remember, John is baptizing at the river, right? All these people from all over the country have come out to see him. And then John says, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove the way you live, uh, by the way you live, that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. 
For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. And then he will clean up the threshing area, gather the wheat into his barn, but burn the chaff with with its never-ending fire. Okay, so there's a lot of judgment language in there, right? Acts at the root of the tree, uh, throwing the chaff into the fire and all of that. And I want, I want to observe a couple of things about this. Um, first is that this, uh, this pronouncement that John makes is triggered when he sees uh, what Matthew calls a group of Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, now, to us, often those sound just like two groups of people, right? But they sort of represented the opposite extremes of religion and politics in Jesus's day. Um, the Sadducees were what we would consider today probably the most religiously and politically conservative group. And the Pharisees were the ones that we would consider like the liberals or the progressives, okay? So you can imagine, again, in today's parlance, if there were like some like MAGA Christians and then like some super progressive Christians that all showed up and John just says, you're, you're all missing the point. You're all wrong about this, right? Show not by your clever posturing and the speeches that you make and the way that you can present yourself to us that you're holy, but show by the way that you live that you have changed, right? Show by your actions, by your behavior that you have truly repented, that you have truly changed. And then he uses a couple of images that, again, I think a lot of us find pretty scary, right? An ax that's poised to cut and a winnowing fork that's separating. What I want to observe about those images, I, 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 I want to be careful not to try to neuter them or take away the, the scariness because I think John was trying to make a point that God takes this very seriously, Okay, But I also do want to observe that both of these metaphors that John used are used in the metaphor of cultivation. Okay, The trees that are being cut down are the trees that are not bearing fruit. Okay? The winnowing that is happening is separating wheat from chaff. Okay? It's separating the good stuff from the bad stuff. So the end goal is actually fruitfulness and flourishing. And the reality is, according to John, that some people... Some movements, some philosophies are getting in the way of that. And God will, when God arrives, separate those things and clear out the bad so that the good can flourish. Okay? So again, this is ultimately all, uh, even, even this statement about God's wrath and the coming of God's wrath is ultimately grounded in a picture of God's love for the world and God's love for humanity and God's desire that we all flourish. And that's why John is saying, again, it would, be, it would be something very different if God had already arrived and God was already at work chopping and winnowing. If John was like, well, don't you wish you would have repented? Too late now. Right? No, God sends John ahead, again, as an act of love, as an act to say, hey, it's not too late yet. You still have time, which is, again, what we see in A Christmas Carol, right? Scrooge is begging and pleading with the ghost of Christmas future when he sees this potential future if he doesn't change his ways. He says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll repent, I'll change. And then, of course, when he wakes up, he still has time to change. He still has time to become the kind of person who bears good fruit. 
So I want to close uh, by reading some, some scriptures. Again, I think here you can, you can get into a place where you're like, yeah, 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 be good fruit. And that's still pretty abstracted, right? It's still a metaphor. So it can kind of mean whatever you want it to mean, right? What do you, maybe, maybe you think good fruit means something different than what I think good fruit means, right? And we could both be trying to be fruitful, but trying to do two different things. So I think, again, it's helpful to look at a passage in scripture in the book of Galatians where uh, Paul, the apostle Paul, talks about what good fruit looks like and what bad fruit looks like. Okay, as a way for us to have a little bit more concrete, tangible understanding of what God is calling us to and what God is maybe calling us to repent from. So, uh, again, a lot of you will probably recognize this passage. This is the famous fruit of the Spirit passage, right, where, where Paul talks about what good fruit looks like. So here's what he says. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, fruitful, or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Okay? Now, right before that, Paul had just done a big list of bad fruit. And again, I don't think this is exhaustive, but it gets us a good way, right? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul agrees with what John the baptizer was saying, right? If these are the things you do, if you're producing these kinds of bad fruit, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, right? The ax will winnow, uh, cut that away and remove that. Uh, the winnowing fork will separate that from the goodness. So friends, as we move into a time of responding to what we've seen in the scriptures today, I just want to invite you to consider uh, your past and your present and your future. We're going we're gonna to move into a time of prayer and a, an opportunity for you to examine uh, how God is working in your life and how God is calling you. Because I think the reality is that uh, sort of like the ghost of Christmas past, um, if we're attentive to what God is doing, we'll see that God has been at work in our lives in the same way that Scrooge was able to remember that he was not always such a humbug when it came to Christmas. Right? That there had been good in his life that he had turned away from. In fact, um, Scrooge, you know, Scrooge's first name is Ebenezer, right? Uh, which is actually a word that, it's a Hebrew word. It means stone of help. Okay, Ebenezer, stone of help. And it referred to those big piles of rocks that the Israelites built to remember what God had done for them. The first time was when they crossed the Jordan River. And while, the, while they were crossing the river, they took stones out of the bottom of the riverbed and stacked them up. Specifically so that when their children and their children's children and their children's children's children were like, what's with this big pile of rocks? they could say, oh, we have a story for you. Let us tell you about these Ebenezers, these stones of help that are a statue to remind us that we only came here by God's help, right? And so Ebenezer's name, right, his whole life is a, is a testimony to the reality that he got to where he is only through God's help. And of course, he had forgotten that. And that's what turned him inward and turned him cruel and turned him selfish, and his journey in A Christmas Carol is to remember that none of what he has he got through his own efforts alone, but only through God's help. And it's when he sees that that he's able to return to being generous and open-hearted and big-spirited. And so maybe as we move into this time of response this morning, you too need to spend some time remembering your past. Or maybe you need to spend some time looking around in your present and finding how God is at work in those places that you might have overlooked or ignored or even said bah humbug and dismissed when they were knocking at your door. 
Or maybe, of course, you need to look at your future. Maybe you need to consider what is ahead of you in your life. Right? Maybe like Scrooge, you need to look at what's before you and say, is the life that I'm living now building the kind of life I want to leave behind? So we're going to take some time uh, before we approach the communion table today to receive uh, in prayer these questions and ask them to God and pray to God with them. And then we're going to approach the communion table, uh, which again, we only come to through God's help because God has set this table for us and God has created a space for us and God has invited us to share it. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer of examine where you have space to reflect on these prayers and these considerations. And then we're going to pray together and then we're going to receive communion together. So here's the first question I want you to consider in prayer. As I consider my past, where do I see God providing and caring for me? Now, as I consider my present reality, where do I see God providing and caring for me? Now, think to your future. That can be in the next you know, couple of weeks of this holiday season or in the next couple of years. As I consider my future, how is God calling me? And then finally, in light of my past, present, and future, what is God calling me to today? What is my next right spiritual step?
Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today that we might see in your servant John uh, an image of the reality of judgment. Uh, we confess that we actually don't mind the idea of judgment around Christmas time. We like when people who are unrepentant like Scrooge end up getting their just desserts because we see the pain that they create in the world around them with their selfishness. Maybe what we really have a problem with, if we're being honest, is, is that we don't like the, the idea that we might be subject to judgment, that we might need to change. And yet in John's words this morning, we have seen that uh, your warnings are just that. They are loving invitations for us to consider how we might be more like Scrooge than we think, how we too might be selfish and closed off in ways that we were not attending to. And so today you have invited us to search our own spirits and to see how you might be inviting us to be changed so that we too can enjoy the fruits of repentance the same way Scrooge did in A Christmas Carol. Thank you for sending John to prepare us for the coming of your son so that we might be found when you arrive as a faithful people. In that spirit, we approach your communion table today as those who want to be formed in the image of your son, Jesus. As we receive these elements, we pray they would be a spiritual food that gives us the grace that we need to have the courage to change. We offer these prayers now and we approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he took bread and broke it and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we uh, remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, friends, as you're going today, I want to thank all of you who are continuing to give here at Catalyst. Uh, and of course, for our guests, that is not directed at you. We are just glad that you are here this morning. And uh, you, honestly, the gift of your presence is, is all that we could have asked for from you today. So for the rest of you, though, thank you again for your continued faithfulness in that area. I really appreciate it. And to our volunteers who continue to make these spaces possible, both our space here in the building and our online folks, uh, we really appreciate that as well. And, uh, you know, as you're going, I just want to remind you that here at Catalyst, uh, when we talk about the fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives, we take that language really seriously, that uh, the fruit of the Spirit is not something we try harder to do. Uh, it's, it's sort of uh, counterintuitive, but we are more fruitful the more we create space for the Spirit to work in our lives. And so we do that here at Catalyst through spiritual practices like, uh, you know, like reading scripture and prayer and meditation and giving. Uh, and so if you are not someone who's really into spiritual practices or haven't tried that before, but you think maybe that's one of the ways that you need to repent and that you need to change, uh, if you're virtual with us, you can find that in the, uh, the description in the YouTube video. There's a spiritual practices guide there. And for those of you who are in the building, of course, you can access that online or as you're going out the doors on our, our big wall right there that says Catalyst on it, you can find some pamphlet versions of the spiritual practices. But, uh, you know, we created that, pra that guide to be a kind of a quick start guide for people who have never, you know, if you've never prayed in a way that, you know, you never got past like, God is great, God is good, let us thank for our food or something like that, which is a great prayer, right? No shade against that prayer. I'm saying uh, if you're ready to kind of go to the next level, uh, there's, you know, it's kind of how to pray or how to read scripture in a way that's about more being transformed than being informed, right? That, that's what that guide is for. Uh, and so I would just encourage you, 
Even though this is the holiday season, even though it's super busy and full of all kinds of extra stuff, it's all the more reason we need to be creating space in our lives to sit with the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to transform us so that we can bear the kind of fruit that God created us to bear for the healing of the world around us. Um, don't sleep on that because uh, that, that's, really, that's really a heartbeat of what faith is for and that's what Christmas is all about. So if you'd stand uh, wherever you are, if that's safe to do, uh, I want to dismiss you uh, this morning with a blessing. Catalyst, as you go today, would you go with the words of John the Baptizer ringing in your ears that the kingdom of God is near and so now is the time to repent. Would you know that as you do that, you can do that without fear, but fully confident that the God who created you and called you is the one who is even enabling us to return. So go confident that, that the Holy Spirit is with you in this. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we will see you next week.